0: Lovely to see everybody. Really good. You know, I, my natural instinct is to say, "Right, everyone, let's squash together, <laughs> so I can see you all." But you know, it's not really a good idea, is it? America? But I wonder what the most loving thing anyone has ever done for you. In my early twenties, I used to be a total sucker. For a romantic engagement story. That was before I'd lived long enough to realize that there's a lot more to love than a fairy tale proposal and a really good camera. Last week, Charles told us about how he loved taking his dad a cup of tea in the evening and how much that little offering meant to his dad. And I know exactly how his dad felt. When I was a student, my housemate, Lisa, used to bring me a cup of tea in the mornings and I felt so loved by her. But isn't it crazy that we can feel so loved just by someone making us a cup of tea? But we do. And that is just a teeny-weeny, minuscule expression of love. God's love for me and you is so big, it's beyond our imagination. But I would love each of us today to grasp that love a tiny bit more. So I'm going to pray right now that we would do that. Why don't you, if you want to, hold your hands out um, like this. And and God, I'm, I just ask that as I share, as I share your word, that you would fill each one of us with that that the truth and the knowledge and the The heart change um, of knowing how much you love us. Amen. The thing is, the the passage we're looking at today uh, tells us that God doesn't just love us. He is love. He invented love. His very essence is love. Think about the most loving thing anyone has ever done for you, and that love, came from god now the kind of love we're talking about is perfect it's not manipulative it's not out to gain something it's not flattery it's not about making the giver look great it's a selfless love that is only for the benefit of the ones on the receiving end god's love is the real deal if you've got your bibles why don't you open them to 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. And I'm going to read to verse 16. Give you a minute to find it. Because that is not on the projector. Not that I prepared it either to be on the projector. Okay. God's love and ours. Dear friends, what a great way to start. Let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves, Like God, has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love like God does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sin, uh, atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we've seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. There is so much in this passage, isn't there? But I just want to focus on two things. The way God loves us. And the way God's love enables us to love others in the church. So, firstly, the way God loves us. If you look at verse 9, it tells us that God showed his enormous, incredible, gigantic love for us when he sent his only, his precious son into the world to die on the cross so that we might be forgiven. You see, the biggest problem every human being has is that our hearts naturally do not live for God but we were created with that by God with that very purpose to live for him so before we give our whole lives to Jesus we live with this restlessness trying to satisfy our hearts with other things and whatever we fill our lives with if it's not a personal relationship with Jesus. Those things never satisfy, even good things. Before long, it all goes wrong. We end up needing something else, and we end up living with this restlessness, hoping that the next thing, the next relationship, the next drink, the next job, the next house will be the thing that means we'll finally be deep down happy. But God loves us so much And he longs for each one of us to find our rest in him, that he has made it possible by sending his son into the world to make it possible. It's only when we accept the forgiveness that Jesus paid for on the cross that we find that true, deep down peace and happiness. One guy said that God had only one son and he sent him into a hostile environment into a rebel world on a rescue mission to redeem us and reconcile us to God. I was terrified when I first sent Caleb on the bus to high school by himself. I wanted to do everything in my power to keep him safe. I wanted to go undercover as a schoolgirl and sit at the back of the bus and just keep an eye on things. That is what I wanted to do. I don't want any of my children to ever face anything remotely difficult ever. So imagine then sending your only child who happens to be 100% perfect, good, kind, gentle, loving into a world that you know will ultimately reject him for no reason at all and nail him to a cross. God sent Jesus into the world knowing this, to die on a cross for me and for you. That is how much God loves us. Verse 10 reminds us that it was because of our sin that Jesus died. We've done nothing to deserve forgiveness, and yet Jesus went to the cross in obedience for us, never having rebelled against his father in any way. That is how much God loves us. And God's love means that our mess is completely dealt with, whether that's secret stuff you've never shared with anyone, but that brings you much shame, or whether it's stupid stuff you did publicly that others still hold against you even though you're desperately sorry, all that mess, every single bit of it, was dealt with, was wiped away because of the death of our perfect Jesus on the cross. The creator of the universe loves you and me so much that he sent his one and only son to take away all your sins. And we've done nothing to deserve this love. And yet God's love changes everything for us. We can be totally free of guilt and shame. We've been made right with God, the only one whose opinion of us matters. Have you you ever met anyone who's just become a Christian? The joy and life that they exude is just brilliant. Going back to my friend Lisa at uni, um, before Lisa had become a Christian, she'd faced some pretty tragic stuff in her life. In fact, life for Lisa has has not gone on to be particularly easy either. When I first met her, Lisa was trying to find the answer to that restlessness um, and fill her life up through relationships with boys. So she had one boyfriend after another because nothing and no one could fill the gap in her life that only God is able to fill. But when Lisa became a Christian, she fell head first in love with Jesus. Jesus became her whole world. And though Lisa is married now and has got four children, even though life has been tough for her, 25 years later, Jesus is still her whole world. Understanding the love of God for her changed everything for Lisa. And I'm sure many of you here have got the same story. It's God's love that sets sets following Jesus apart from all other religions. In every other religion, a person has to do something to earn God's favour they have to be good enough, they have to be spiritual enough. But this passage tells us that way before we knew God, he loved us. God knew we would never, ever be good enough to get to heaven. Even on our best day, even on that day where where we're on our best ever behavior, we wouldn't be good enough for a perfect, holy God. So instead, he sent the only one who could be good enough who was good enough to take away our sin on the cross. So we can now stand before God, pure and clean and made right. God reaches out his hand and invites us into his family as one of his children. So if you are a believer here today, you belong to the family of God. Isn't that amazing? Thinking about families, I wonder what characteristics you would use to describe the family you grew up in. My family growing up was a really big family. My brothers were super clever, I wasn't. None of us were particularly sporty. Um, You'd more likely find us reading a book or listening, listening to some kind of alternative music, writing, embarrassingly, writing poetry or something deeper meaningful in our journals than playing football if the horner family to were to have had a game of football against us in fact if they were to have a game of football against us now even like my my six brothers grown up they were totally thrashers um and so let's think about the horners let's let's describe the horners they're not here so we can <laughs> <laughs> the, horners, the horners are musical aren't they yeah. playing in the band they are they're sporty, they're healthy, the Debs only, let their kids only have one flapjack when they come to my house. Um, what about the wrists? Are the wrists here? No, they're not here. But well, the wrists are quite adventurous, I think, from what I've heard about the wrists, they're adventurous. They're probably out having some kind of adventure right now. What about the Simmons? They are here. Well, well I would use the word hospitable for the Simmons. Um, i suppose we should probably look at the bastards as well while i'm (laughs) picking on other people well me and tom a couple of years ago uh, were filling in a form and we had to write down our hobbies and the first thing that came to mind in fact at that time the only thing that came to mind was eating (laughs) so you could describe me and tom as snackers it's interesting how families take on particular identities creative arty sporty clever serious, not so serious. And God's family, the church isn't any different. God's family takes on the character of God which is love. As we together enjoy the love of God, we begin to take on the family characteristic of love. And we are to love one another. Which takes me to the second point I wanted to bring out of this passage today. God's love enables us to love those around us. Verse 11 says, Since God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. The very purpose of church, of God's family, is to show the rest of the world how good it is to be loved by God. And how God's love enables us to live a life of loving others the church should be a community of love like no other because God has poured his love into our hearts and the love we have for one another is a huge part of the witness we are to the watching world as I've been thinking about this talk I've been hugely personally challenged Because if I'm honest, I think I sometimes find it much easier to love people who aren't Christians yet. I've got way more patience for non-Christians than for Christians. You, of course, not counting you. I love you all deeply. But this passage is clear. The church is meant to be the most loving group of people. We are meant to be a family characterised by love. And when we get this right, it is the most beautiful thing. I remember going to stay with Christians in Romania, and though the family lived in the the greatest poverty I've ever seen, they sacrificed their beds, their food, their money to welcome me. I was blown away by their sacrificial generosity. What a picture of the love of Jesus. But also, as Christians, we can get it really wrong. As individuals, we can be slow to forgive, we can harbor bitterness, we can gossip, we can crush people with what we say. I know we can do this because I am guilty of this. Different denominations become like tribes where instead of uniting in belief of Jesus, we compete and trample on each other. But John says in this passage, dear friends, let us love one another. It doesn't mean we can't disagree about things or hold on to certain beliefs, but it does mean we should walk and talk in love. The way we love each other in the church impacts our mission to those around us. It's a serious thing. Jesus himself says in John 13, verse 34 and 35, A new command I give you, love one another, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's probably really easy for each one of us to recall times when we haven't been loved well by others in the church. The church is not a perfect place because we're humans and none of us are perfect. We get this wrong all the time. But the likelihood is that we too have have been guilty of not loving others well ourselves. But as we think about the way God sacrificed his son in order that we might know forgiveness, even while we were still sinners, we are reminded to love like Jesus, to not hold things against people like I often do, but to forgive just like we have been forgiven. Another quote from that same wise person. There's no point in saying his name. I don't think many will know who he is. If people want to see Jesus, they should be able to meet him in the churches. God's love finds finds its completion by creating in us that same kind of self-giving love as his. This is a love that the world desperately needs to see because it's the nearest many people will ever get get to see the invisible God. So if we are a church who desperately wants to see others come to know the love of God, and I totally believe we are, we've just done a whole series on mission, then we must be a church that deeply and genuinely loves each other. As we draw to a close, I would so love God to move in each of our hearts today. I'd love God to pour his love in so that we would personally know even deeper how loved we are by God. And I would love it if God would do something really special in our church today too, that God's spirit would empower us to love one another even more deeply. I remember chatting to someone who told me that she'd been a Christian for years and years and years Um, and knew the truth about God in her head, but she felt like she'd never really experienced the love of God in her heart. And I wonder if anyone feels like that here. Or I wonder if anyone knows others who would say the same, deeply knowing that we are loved by God changes everything. If that's you, I'm going to pray in a minute, and I'd love you to pray with me and say amen. But each one of us, needs to be constantly reminded of how loved we are by god we can be our greatest personal critics can't we we need to be reminded that the good news of the gospel wasn't just for the day we became a christian it's for every single day and i wonder if anyone um, here like me has been challenged to love others better I just want to give us some space this morning to say sorry to God for when we've got it wrong. And to ask God to help us forgive where we have been wronged by others. To ask God to fill our hearts afresh with his love that loved, loved us while we were still a mess. Um, even when we got it wrong, he still loved us. So I'm going to pray. Um, let's, just, let's just take a minute and, and if you're aware that there are people particularly in the church that you are struggling to forgive why don't you just say sorry to God and ask him to fill your heart with with Holy Spirit power to help you forgive them it doesn't mean that you've suddenly got to be best friends it doesn't mean that you've got to you know put yourself in a dangerous situation but it means that you can be set free from harboring the, the, the kind of the bitterness or the anger